And we'll begin by singing from Psalm 72 and sing Psalms. And we'll sing verses 1 to 7. And thou the king with justice, Lord, the royal son with righteousness, your people, you afflicted ones, he'll judge with truth and uprightness. If you're able to stand, we can sing these verses. Shall we pray? Lord, we give you thanks that um, we're able to sing about the King, uh, the Savior, your Son, uh, Jesus Christ, highly exalted and given the name that's above every name. We thank you, Lord, that we know about his position where he is and we realize that we live in a world where many people are unaware of that and indeed there are some who have heard about it but actively oppose it but we thank you Lord that uh, his reign, his throne is untouchable that he is a king forever and that um, we can pray in his name uh, that name that's got real authority attached to it and therefore we do come to you in his name because it's through him that we have access uh, to your presence it's important for us as we're here to see beyond the visible that we are to realize that we're actually in the presence of God that we are as close to you as uh, the angels in heaven and that we are to be giving our whole attention to you that our hearts and our minds 
and our wills should be actively submissive to you as we go through our service there's a certain sense in which we gather here uh, to report uh, that we are here to acknowledge that we still regard you as God and that we are aware of what Jesus did and where he is now and that we are also aware that the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts so Lord we thank you for our opportunity of coming here that we are drawing near to God we thank you that you speak to us from your word your word is not just an ancient book but rather it is something that speaks to us always with relevance at times it can be very countercultural and very different from the ideas of the society around us and we pray Lord that as we hear we would hear what your word has to say and that we would respond appropriately it should be astonishing to us that we can draw near to you even though we are sinners but we thank you that the reality is as far as the earth is concerned it is only sinners who can approach you and we pray that we would be grateful to Jesus for opening up this new and living way now, even though we are sinners we can uh, draw close to you in his name and we pray that we'll be doing that each of us can respond to you in our hearts we've responded to you in a communal sense a short time ago with the singing of your praise but we can also uh, interact with you in our hearts and we ask you Lord that you would uh, be hearing what we have to say so Lord be with us in our service remember any who can't um, be here today that you would remember them where they are we pray about the circumstances in the congregation that you would uh, remember every person connected to it and we remember the, the Rennick family in particular Lord we pray that you would uh, remember your church throughout the world we give you thanks that we are part of a huge number of people who on this particular day are gathering to remember uh, the resurrection of Christ and we pray you bless them all and as far as our own country is concerned no doubt there are many meeting at the same time and we just pray your blessing on each gathering we thank you Lord that you are able to do that you are the God of the whole earth remember your people who are in difficult circumstances in your providence those who are being persecuted for the faith those who live in countries where there's terrible things going on Lord we pray that you would uh, just remember uh, your cause throughout the world we pray to you remember the world itself and despite our technological advances uh, we are no more able to remove the problems of society than our predecessors were and we need your help and therefore Lord we come and that you would work throughout our world remember all the governments of the world as Paul tells us we are to pray for them and while we might not agree with some of them we just pray Lord that you would remember uh, all those who have been given these tasks uh, and that they would govern wisely Lord just remember the state of the world we pray and we, we ask for better times to come uh, times of spiritual revival but also better times better attitudes between races and all that kind of thing that we see around us today so Lord we commit all these things to you we pray to bless the children that are here may all of them grow up uh, to serve you and we just pray Lord that you would bless as families and as individuals 
So remember us, we pray, and take care of us and pardon us for your own name's sake. Amen. I want to speak to the children just now. Um, I want to talk about something that happened in in China. And um, 150 years ago, and you may have heard this story before. All the ones I tell, I've heard them from somebody else. So it's um, it's always possible that you've heard them too. So it's um, there was this group of Christians, and they were gathering together in a house, and they were talking about how kind Jesus is and they were each of them just um, giving their own opinion of that and there was a young girl there she was about 12 and she was listening to the conversation and suddenly there was a knock at the door and the young girl went to answer it and she took one look at the at the man at the door and she ran back into the room where the people were speaking and she announced that Jesus was at the door she had looked at the man's kind face there was something about him that said to her that he was like what the grown-ups in the room were saying about Jesus um, the man himself and that was Hudson Taylor who you may know was a, a well-known missionary in China but it is interesting that the young girl thought that just his way of speaking and the look of his eyes and just everything he everything he said and did just reminded her of Jesus and of course they did, the people in the room didn't believe her so they had to go out and see who was standing there and I'm sure they were very glad to see Hudson Taylor come to see them but I'm also sure they were very glad that the young girl thought that Hudson Taylor looked like Jesus. I don't know if you've ever met people like that. You know, I've met them. Even before they spoke, we just knew they were like Jesus. And it's a good, it's a good way to be, isn't it? Not just for children to think that that person looks like Jesus even for adults to think that 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 person looks like Jesus so hope you remember that story uh, we'll sing again this time in Psalm 102 and the uh, Scottish Psalter we'll sing the first version Ian yeah, on page um, 364, no 365, sorry, uh, verse 17 to 22. <clears throat> the prayer of the destitute he surely will regard. Their prayer will he not despise. By him it shall be heard. Verses 17 to 22. We'll stand to sing if you're able.
Matthew chapter 5 and we can read verses 1 to verse 20 uh, seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, 
will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And may God bless that reading to us. We'll now sing Psalm 70 in the Scottish Psalter. It's on page 309. Lord, haste me to deliver, with speed, Lord, succor me. Let them that for my soul do seek, shamed and confounded be. We can sing Psalm 70, the first version. We'll stand to sing. can um, turn back to the chapter we read, Matthew chapter 5, and I'd like us to think together about verse 3, Matthew 5 verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. different ways of describing uh, Christians. Sometimes it's just a one-word description. They may be called uh, believers or disciples. At other times the Bible might take a sentence to describe them. As Paul does, for example, in Galatians when he lists the fruit of the Spirit and just indicates that these features 
Well, they are just found in every Christian. Or there may be an entire paragraph, as Paul again does in Ephesians chapter 1, there in verses 3 to 14, in which he crams into that one sentence a whole list of features that um, mark the believers to whom he was writing. And he pointed out that they had been adopted into God's family and had been redeemed by Christ and were also, as he put it, uh, sealed by the Spirit, which of course is an illustration taken from the customs of the time to indicate property. So when it says that they were sealed by the Spirit, it just means that the Holy Spirit is a sign that they are owned by God. Or there may be, as there is in the Ten Commandments, a list of um, instructions on how they are to live. And another one is found here in these Beatitudes that um, Jesus started this sermon about. It is kind of interesting that um, in his sermon he mentions eight characteristics and, and then moves on to describe something else. Whereas we in our sermon are going to spend the whole time on one verse. But um, but uh, anyway, Jesus in this list of um, um, character traits indicates how people can identify who his followers are. So therefore, they are important verses, aren't they? How can we identify the children of God? It's important what they believe. Indeed, it's essential. But it's also equally essential that they live according to what they believe. And that their character traits although the individuals themselves are all different every one of them will have the same character traits you can't have say for the Beatitudes you can't have seven of them you have to have the eight because they come as a package and it's not really um, valid to go through the eight and say, well, I've got that one, but I don't have that one. That's not really an appropriate way of, of dealing with the description. We have to ask ourselves, do we have the eight? And... If I'm spared, I'll try and go through them the times I may be here. So, um, that's just a hint but um, of what I might be doing um, in future occasions. Because I think the Beatitudes are, are crucial for Christian living. The verbs are always important, but the verbs doesn't say, here are our aspirations. The verbs tell us, here is what we should be, constantly, not just on Sunday, but on Thursday, not just in church but in our homes and in our places of work 
or whatever we happen to be. They are the normal, expected Christian life. Sometimes it's suggested that the word blessed should be translated as happy. And it all depends what is meant by happiness. The blessing, it looks to me, is connected to the privilege that is linked to the characteristic. So the blessing connected to poor in spirit is the fact that they have the kingdom of heaven. The blessing is not so much that they are poor in spirit, but that the poor in spirit have the kingdom of heaven. And they have the resources of the kingdom of heaven at all times. That's what makes them blessed. So here we are today. And if we are poor in spirit, then at this moment we have all the resources of the kingdom of heaven. And who can tell the fullness of these resources? I just want to ask um, a couple of questions and then a third point. The first question is, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And the second question is, when are they poor in spirit? Which may seem a, a strange question to ask since I've just said that they're always poor in spirit. But I want to look at, in that section, at two occasions when they are poor in spirit. And that will be at their conversion. And then, how does it show itself throughout their Christian life? And then, thirdly, what does it mean to possess the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven, of course, is just the kingdom of God. Matthew doesn't normally use the phrase kingdom of heaven. The other gospel writers tend to say kingdom of God when they're quoting the same incident. And but Matthew, and it's generally assumed because he's writing to Jews, and the Jews would, have, would understand what is meant by the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't refer to heaven as a location. It doesn't mean they have the kingdom of heaven in the sense that one day they're going to go there. It means that they are in the kingdom of heaven now. As they live in this world. But we'll think about what that means to have the resources of the kingdom of heaven. So firstly, the, what is it to be poor in spirit? Well, uh, I was quite surprised to discover the other day. And it's quite interesting the things you discover as life goes on. But uh, I was quite surprised to discover this is the only time in the Bible that the phrase is used poor in spirit I had imagined that it had been used in lots of other places <clears throat> but um, although the exact phrase um, poor in spirit is not found elsewhere there, the same idea is found in many other places and we, each of the psalms that we've sung so far referred to aspects of it poor in spirit well, it doesn't mean that um, a person is weak in their outlook. It doesn't mean that they are uh, easily pushed over. 
It doesn't mean that um, they've got a very poor self-esteem. Rather, it's, it's something that they think about themselves because they know God. And because they know God, it means they're not self-confident in a sense of being dependent on themselves. And they're not self-satisfied. And they're not self-centered. And the, the word self there is very important. I mean, a person who is preoccupied with themselves are normally self-confident or self-satisfied and self-centered. But a person who is poor in spirit has got this humble outlook because it does refer to humility. But their humility is marked by confidence in God and satisfaction with God and they are just God-centered. When Paul said, for example, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That was a statement of a man who was marked by being poor in spirit. In himself, he knew he had no strength. But he didn't deduce from that that he couldn't do anything. Instead, he said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He doesn't say, I can do all things through him who gave me strength. Nor does he say, I can do all things through him who will give me strength. That is, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So at any given moment, Jesus, Paul realized, would give him strength. For whatever circumstance he faced, be it Huge, a huge situation or a little situation all of them Jesus will give him strength he was never self confident in any situation and he was never satisfied with his own performance in any situation indeed he described himself as a, as a wretched man but at the same time, he knew who, who, would, who would help him, who never left him to his own contribution, but just worked in him. And as Paul says elsewhere, we are to work out what God works in, to be poor in spirit. We may ask, um, why is it mentioned first? Why is it mentioned as the first of the eight? Well, normally, a thing is mentioned first in a list of items because it is crucial for the rest of them. You get it in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love then all the others come. If there's no love, there's no point looking for the others. And I suspect it's the same kind of process here. We can't mourn unless we're marked or the poor in spirit. We can't be meek unless we are poor in spirit. And we won't hunger and thirst for righteousness unless we're poor in spirit, and so on. So it's, as somebody once said, 
of something else first among equals they're all equally important sorry they're all important but without having this attitude of humility poor in spirit the rest won't appear so it's a very crucial thing isn't it now of course uh, <coughs> there's a sort of um, initially when we look at this verse blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven it seems um, almost contradictory to say that the humble will have the kingdom the the persons who have a a low view of themselves in a certain sense how can they possibly have all things and of course Paul does say to the Corinthians doesn't he and, and the, the problem <coughs> in the church in Corinth if we remember the problem basically is that they were not poor in spirit that they all had their own suggestions about what this or that that should be done I am of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Peter is what they said but Paul says to them why are you thinking like that all things are yours you don't have to limit yourself to Paul or to Apollos or to Peter because all things are yours and that's just one example of how the, the amount of spiritual provision that's given was explained by Paul in that circumstance but the humble get everything that is what Jesus is saying here and that's quite revolutionary isn't it because normally in life it's the graspers who get things isn't it but here well the humble of course that shouldn't surprise us as Christians that shouldn't surprise us because after all the most humble man that ever lived is now on the throne of God but humility Jesus indicates here well poor in themselves but rich towards God the arithmetic of heaven is quite astounding now this attitude <coughs> poor in spirit <coughs> is not really there before conversion there might be features in people's lives that look like it it's not really there this is a product of the work of the Holy Spirit and we'll come to think about that in a minute it's important I think to say to ourselves that Jesus really wants us to have this blessing Some people, are, some people are likened the Sermon on the Mount to, uh, to Jesus' manifesto. We're familiar with um, political parties having their manifestos. Well, some people liken this is Jesus' manifesto. And he, he begins it by saying, This is my, he's very soon, this is my kingdom. Well, who are the people in it? and does that in verses 1 
to dwell. Then after that he talks about their influence. He says that they are the salt of the earth. He doesn't say they should be the salt of the earth. But that they are the salt of the earth. In that moment there's only... He's speaking to twelve of them and one of them's not real. Judas. But to that little group of disciples, he says to them, you're the salt of the earth. Indeed he says to them, you're the light of the world. Now obviously the kingdom is going to grow as far as numbers are concerned. But in a certain sense, that eleven were enough in order for them to be salt. And they were enough in order for them to be light. As long as they lived according to his kingdom, they would be salt and they would be light. He goes on and tells them about how they should deal with their inner sins in the rest of chapter 5. Then he goes on and talks about how they should pray and how they should give alms and how they should fast and so on. We're all familiar with these details. It is crucial to remind ourselves, isn't it, that this is the outlook that Jesus wants his disciples to have. Part of it, to be poor in spirit. So, when are they poor in spirit? Well, I suggested earlier, I just want to look at two things. At their conversion. And then throughout their Christian lives. You know, just think of anyone. And they hear the gospel. And they're, they're told they are sinful. They're told they're not unique in that. That everybody is. And they are told that the, what the way of salvation is. And so they hear this. And they start thinking about it. In, in, in their minds and and they might start looking at the Bible or they might adopt certain practices and people looking them on the outwardly saying oh why they're developing new interests but really inside they're making new discoveries they're making new discoveries about themselves. They're, they're, they're discovering, as the, as the words of the gospel, of, the, of what Jesus said about sinfulness and things like that, as these things shine inside them, they begin to see themselves in a new way. If they had um, been asked prior to then, are you perfect? They'd have said, no, of course not. And they'd have probably followed it with something like, that, something like no one's perfect. But as the Holy Spirit works in their hearts, they begin to discover who they are. And they begin to realize that their outward actions, whatever they were, whether it's their words or their activities, they begin to realize that these things are said or done because there's something wrong with themselves. And whatever assessments they may have had of themselves prior to that the gospel 
reveals to them. And sometimes it can reveal it to them quite starkly. That they are sinful. It's not merely that they commit sins. And it's not merely that they have wrong thoughts. But that they are sinful. And they, they start agreeing with Paul when he said, in, in me, there dwells no good thing. That all I do is in some way or other affected by my sinfulness. Not by anybody else's sinfulness, but by my sinfulness. And because that happens to them, they become poor in spirit. They realize that they need a savior. Not only to get them out of the prospect of a lost eternity, which of course is very important, but they also realize they need a savior from themselves. That they need to be changed. And they can't do it. And it doesn't matter how hard they try. They can't take one step in the right direction. And whatever strength of character they have in a natural sense they find they're powerless empty they need help from outside and they cry to God and they say Lord as the tax collector said in Jesus' parable, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. What a self description. Accurate. But one that compelled him to pray. And an awareness of himself that caused him not to be silent. But he had to come to God and basically say to God, You have to change me. And they hear the gospel, of course, and they come to Jesus as needy sinners. And they find his mercy. But they find it partly because they've realized that they can do nothing. It's a good discovery. And they they trust in Jesus, whatever way that happens to them personally. They depend on Jesus. They don't depend on themselves at all. They depend on Christ alone. But then there's a the Christian life. How would we describe the Christian life? Well, there's lots of ways of doing that, isn't there? But I was just trying to think about it. How could it be? Is there anything that we could say that would describe what a Christian does? And uh, came up with three suggestions. <laughs> you may have a lot more, but um, the three I came up with was they confess sin and they pray for help and they think about heaven. And initially, I thought that was what Paul did. Paul often confesses his sin 
As a believer of several decades standing, he tells Timothy, I am the chief of sinners. That wasn't the confession he made on the Damascus Road when he was confronted by Jesus. Rather, it's how he describes himself as an old man. Chief of sinners. But elsewhere we know he speaks about his sin and he confesses it. He also, his letters are full of statements about prayer. He tells us about his own prayers. But he also asks others to pray for him. Constantly praying for help. And he's always thinking about heaven. He just, his mind just turns to heaven. And I thought, yeah, that's Paul. But then I thought that these three, three features of confessing his sin and praying for help and thinking about heaven were also seen in the thief on the cross. All of them. They all saw it. Three features. Common to the poor in spirit. We have to ask ourselves, do we do that? Do we have them? Confess our sin. Ask God for help. Think about heaven. So that's when they do it. Then very briefly possessing the kingdom. When someone comes to Jesus, what does the kingdom do for them? Well, we know what it does for them. The minute they believe, they're justified. Accepted in God's sight. Pardoned all their sins. Right from the first moment. At the same time, they're also adopted. They're taken into God's family. Given a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. All handed to them freely. At the same time the Holy Spirit comes to live in them. He's come and live in them to change them. To sanctify them. To make them like Jesus. The riches of the kingdom become theirs immediately. They go from having nothing. To having everything. In a split second of time. They're recognized in heaven as belonging to it. They're accepted there. They can just explore their blessings for the rest of their Christian journey. And then as we come to a close, as we go to throughout life, what's the kingdom do for me today? What does it do for you today if we are poor in spirit? Well, we can pray. There's no one else in the entire universe to whom I have constant access apart from the Heavenly Father. I mean, that's true of every Christian. There's no one else in the entire universe to whom they have constant access apart from the Heavenly Father. doesn't matter where I am, what I'm doing. Same can goes for you. doesn't matter where you are, what you are doing. At that precise second, you have immediate access to the Heavenly Father through Jesus. If you're a Christian, All the way through life, all the promises of God are there to be fulfilled. Some of them, something has to happen before we see their, perfect, their suitability. But other times, 
these promises just keep on being fulfilled. And if you take time just to think about them, we have seen they're fulfilled. God guides us. We don't take a step without him. There's lots of other things. He protects us. He gives us the blessing of the church. He tells us in our hearts the best is yet to come. Poor in spirit. It's not a sign of weakness. It's actually an indication that a person is very wealthy. That they have the kingdom of God. good to know that isn't it we live in a world as Christians in which everything is getting marginalised but there's one thing that cannot be marginalised and that's the kingdom of God and all of it is available for us all the time if we are poor in spirit Shall we pray? Lord, we, we give you thanks for the kingdom of God. Your kingdom. Your kingdom graciously given to sinners. The kingdom of over whom Jesus reigns. The kingdom that Jesus blesses every day the one who just governs so that all his people will be blessed Lord help us to see the beauty of being poor in spirit the wonders connected to a changed life the wonders connected to becoming like Jesus Lord, help us as we make our way through this world that we would be thinking about the traits that should mark your people and to realize that there's no limit to the degree they can be developed. We pray, Lord, that you would work in us, work in us by your Holy Spirit, to turn us to develop us in our outlooks to make us Christ-like grant it Lord so bless us we pray for your own name's sake Amen We'll conclude by singing from Psalm 22 in Sing Psalms Verses 26 to 31, some page 27. The poor will eat and will be filled, and those who seek the Lord will give. A shout of joyful praise to him, O oh, may your hearts forever live. Verses 26 to 31.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the